Welcome to the Burrito Kind of Guy podcast, a podcast that I created to find out how creativity works. We're on a quest, my friends, and I surely hope we're going to find some answers. It's also a good way for me to chat with some friends I haven't seen in a long time. For this first episode, I had the chance to talk with Derek Zanetti, uh, also known as the Homeless Gospel Choir. Uh, we talked about a lot of interesting things. Uh, we talked about uh, creativity. We talked about songwriting, how his songwriting process evolved through time. And it was an interesting conversation. This week's sponsor is the band Talk Show Host from Toronto. Um, they describe themselves as being two recovering punks and an indie rocker walk into a bar. They just released an amazing album called Mid-Century Modern. And it's out on Wiretap Records in North America and Disconnect Disconnect in the UK and in Europe. So check it out if you're a fan of, I don't know, Weezer, Alkaline Trio, um, other kinds of trios in general. They're pretty good. Check it out. Thank you, talk show host. By the way, uh, if you want me to advertise your band, your art in general, anything, uh, it's free. Uh, talk show host just asked me and I was like, eh, fuck yeah, people should find out about talk show hosts because they're amazing. So if you, if you make any kind of art and you're like, hey, I would like to have the burrito kind of guy, dude, talk about my stuff on his podcast. Well, just send me a message on Instagram, a burrito kind of guy, or I don't know, find, find me on Facebook or something like that and tell me that you would like to be on there and maybe you'll be the next uh sponsor it's not real sponsoring because they're not giving me any money i'm doing this all for free because i like talk show hosts uh did that convince you to listen to talk show hosts i surely hope so anyway thank you so much for listening to this uh don't forget you can subscribe to my patreon to receive one new song every month and uh, other uh, cool stuff like getting this podcast earlier before everyone else. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I might find another song for the intro because this one is kind of weird, right? Anyway, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Have fun, be kind, and uh, do something cool today like uh, uh, give a homeless person a meal or I don't know, uh, just do something nice. And uh, there we go. I just went out. I got myself. A, I got myself a sparkling water, and I got myself a tea. And I'm. Uh, <clears throat> it's my first. It's my first Saturday in our new house. We just moved. We just moved. So um, I'm in a new house. Awesome. Where is it? It's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. How far is that from Pittsburgh? Um, yeah, I'm originally. Yeah, I've lived in Pittsburgh for 38 years. And um, we, I, I moved. Yeah, I, I never thought I would ever leave, but here I am. Wow. Yeah. But is Lancaster closer to Philly? Correct. Yeah, yeah. it's about okay. it's about four hours east of Pittsburgh. Wow. Why? Why did you move? Um, so many different variables. I, I, um. I think it was time to do something different for me. I think I needed to have a new energy. Um, the house that I was living in, you know, my mother, I grew up in the house that's only four miles away from the house that I lived in. So I, I lived, I grew up in the same little teeny part of town. And um, I just wanted to have different experiences and wanted to see what else I could try and, and what else I might like. And um after the after spending a year and a half inside my house because of COVID one mm-hmm. nine, I was like, I can do what I'm doing from anywhere, you know, yeah. <clears throat> with a little bit of planning 
and a little bit of imagination, you can do anything. So yeah, um, we got a house here and we're living here now. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Let's talk about you. But I, I know you're, fr you're from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but were you born in Pittsburgh? I was, I was born, I was born in Pittsburgh <clears throat> and I lived, I lived there. Um, I went away after I graduated school, I went away for an internship, uh, that was 18 months, but I knew I was coming back home. You know, like I, when I left home, I never really left. I was just going away for a little period of time. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I came back to Pittsburgh where, where I've been ever since. And what kind of internship was that? I was working, I, I went to culinary school. I graduated from Le Cordon Bleu. Um, wow, really? Yo, yeah, baby. I was, a, I was a chef for quite some time. And I, I moved to a little teeny town <clears throat> in the center of the state called Ligonier, Pennsylvania. And when I was there, I worked for a family restaurant that had, the restaurant had been there for maybe a hundred years or something crazy like that. And I worked, I worked for the family restaurant there. It was, it was nice. It was like a fine dining type of a situation at the time. Wow. Cool. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. So you, you said you were, you, you lived in Pittsburgh for 38 years, which means you were born in 1983. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So what was it like to, to grow up in, um, in Pittsburgh in the, in the eighties? Well, um, It was interesting. Um, we had like a regular, you know, my mom and my dad and I have, you know, I was, I'm the oldest. So I'm the oldest up until about 1988. And then, um, I'm sorry, 1985. And then my brother was born. So um, I, uh, it was, yeah, I had a brother and two sisters. And um, I don't know what else to compare it to. Uh, as far as a childhood goes, it's the only childhood that I know. Yeah. Um, but my parents, the thing that's the most uh, stand standout-ish is that um, my when I was five years old, my parents became uh, members of this church that was very conservative and right-wing and culty in many ways. And from 1988 until 2000 and two, I was, I, I, I lived, I was, I was, I went to that, I went to that church. Wow. So like we couldn't, we couldn't listen to the radio. We never went trick or treating. We weren't allowed to play with certain toys. We weren't allowed to watch cartoons. We weren't allowed to go to the movie theater. We weren't allowed to date. Um, uh, we weren't allowed to wear dark colors, like anything that looked. I remember one time I wore a, a, a band t-shirt to youth group when I was about 14 and they sent me home. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, you just, it was very weird. It was a very strange, you know, but like we also, you know, we went to public school, you know, my brother played little league. Um, my dad owned a business in town. So it wasn't like we lived in a compound or anything like that. Or, you know, we only ate mashed potatoes. You know, we had like other regular, you know, we were regular human beings too. But there, this big, huge part of my childhood had to do with like, um, you know, at the church, it was super strange. You know, people were speaking in tongues and rolling around on the floor and na 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 for hours and hours and hours. And like, telling you about the Holy Spirit and they talk to you about hell whenever you're really little and about going to hell and your sinful nature 
and that you're a sinner. Even at five years old, I was worried about like the devil and sin, hell and going there and like burning in a lake of fire for all of eternity because I didn't listen to my mom or whatever. So it was a very strange, I think it was a strange way to grow up in many ways. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know anything different than that. So I, 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 I couldn't, you know, did you believe yeah. all of that? Like, do you remember how old you were when you were like, Oh, that maybe that's all bullshit. Well, you kind of knew that it was the thing that was the most troublesome is the pretending that it's not bullshit. You know, fear does strange things to you, you know, especially whenever you get somebody to be afraid of something when they're really young. Like even now as a proper grown up, um, I would consider myself to be agnostic or an atheist, probably. Um, but I still think about that all the time. I still think about being afraid of 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 sin and being afraid of the devil and going to hell and you know in the back of my mind even though i know that it's all a bunch of bubkiss in the back of my mind there's still like a little gnawing rat and it's like well maybe your mother was right about salvation and jesus and all the rest of it so even though i'm far removed from it the claws of the trauma of those things certainly don't ever go away um wow. But yeah, I, uh, I, you know, when I was, you know, when I was 11 years old, um, I was in sixth grade and, and that was the first time where my friends had music choices of their own. You know, that's about the time, you know, whenever you go to middle school and you start to discover music and things like that. And I would see my friends would all, you know, they would all have a, you know, a Nirvana t-shirt. And I had no idea what Nirvana was because I wasn't allowed. I wasn't, I had no idea that it even existed. Did you ask your parents, did you ask your parents, what is Nirvana? And then they explained the definition of the word Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was just, they also didn't listen to the radio either. So they didn't have any grasp on pop culture either. So I remember my friend uh, gave me a, a, a tape in, when I was in sixth grade. And the first tape that they gave me was Green Day Dookie. And I remember I took Dookie home and I never heard punk rock before. It was my very first time. Most of the music that I listened to up until then was Christian music or church music. So for me to go ahead and hear something where people were saying swear words, where we were talking about that they were sad or they were upset. People were talking about how they didn't like to be bullied and pushed around anymore. It was the first time I'd ever heard anybody ever say anything like it. And I was hooked. Wow. I was I was absolutely mesmerized by it, and I was I was I was taken aback by it so much that I knew that there was something good out there that I related to because I didn't really relate to this. I knew I was afraid of it, and that's why I believed in it. But I didn't relate to it at all. But this new thing, the weirdo kids with like purple hair and like you know holes in their jeans and you know writing on their sneakers. Like, I was like, this is cool. This is something that these people are expressing themselves with music and art. And this is something that I really, really like. So from the time, you know, all of my teenage years, I was very much so a closeted punk where like I knew that it existed and I was very hungry and thirsty for it, but I had no means to go out and get it on my own. So I had to go ahead and use other ways of getting music where I would have my friends let me borrow their tapes. Like I remember I got the Offspring Smash tape and I listened to that tape until I wore it out. 
I listen to Offspring Smash every day for maybe three years, truthfully. That and Green Day, and I would just listen to them on my little cassette tape Walkman that I would make, I would make my own tapes. So my parents would get, if you went to the Sunday service at church, you would get a sermon on tape for like $2. And that way you can go ahead and you can listen to the sermon all week long and have more Jesus in your heart. And I, um, I would tape over the old tapes with like rancid and no effects and um, even like popular stuff too, like not even necessarily punk stuff, like 311 um, and um, Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and just whatever was on the radio, whatever I could get my hands on that was alternative. So that's what I did. And that was like all the way up until I started to really like rebel against it. And I was like, well, you know, if y'all think I'm bad and I'm going to hell because I like this music, well, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. So I, for, yeah, I, I, you know, whenever I got to be an older teenager, I started to find my own music and, and, and really started to. Have your, have your parents ever found out about what you did with the tapes? No, there was, um, it wasn't something that we ever really talked about ever. Like I, we talk about it now when I was like, do you remember whenever y'all wouldn't let me listen to music? And they just, they kind of ignore it. Like it never happened. It's kind of strange. My father's passed away now. So we don't, I, we, you know, we weren't very close to begin with, but you know, I would talk to him about stuff like that and they kind of wouldn't even acknowledge it. Like they won't. Yeah. It's kind of strange. Yeah. Well, to me, it, it almost sounds like, uh, like when you're in a cult, it's almost, and you're, you're talking about like the Holy Spirit and like people rolling on the ground. It's, it almost sounds like, um, some people, like some of these people were schizophrenic, um, in, in a sense that like, they like see things and they hear things and they're like, oh shit. And, uh, yeah, but I don't know, maybe that's, that's my way of seeing it. Cause, uh, my mom's a psychiatrist and I've been, when I was a kid, I've been told stories of like pe schizophrenic people. And I was like, oh shit, that's a thing. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, it's like <clears throat> whenever you see stuff like that all the time, it just becomes your normal, you know? Mm -hmm. It wasn't weird to see adults running around and, 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 and acting strange. And also, too, all those displays and all those shows were just ways where they were able to reinforce this other really bizarre narrative, you know? Yeah. If they can get you to believe that you're going to hell and that you're no good, they can easily believe they can easily get you to believe in these things to help you get out of going to hell. And many of the things that were involved with you getting out of going to hell were ways of manipulating to control you, which is like, it's, it's real, you know, you know, if we can make you afraid enough, we can get you to do anything. And that's how a cult works, whether it's afraid of culture, whether it's afraid of, you know, secular outside worldly things or sex or relationships or anything. Um, once they realize they can control you a little bit, they'll get you doing a whole bunch of bizarre shit. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of what's happened or what's happened or what's still happening in the US uh, with the far right movement. It's like they're making people afraid and then you vote. Yeah. You end up having a weird president for a few years. Well, you still have a weird president, but uh, in different ways, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had a president that I've liked in my lifetime. I mean, I like... I like the idea of Barack Obama. I like some of the things that, that they had to say, but I still think they were, you know, they did terrible things too. 
Oh, yeah. Maybe Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter might have been the only president that was just like kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but when, even when, then, I'm not sure. Yeah. When when was Jimmy Carter? When when was he president? He was before Reagan. So he was before oh, okay. I was. Mm -hmm. He All still right. works like he's like in his late 90s or he's like in his 90s in some way. And he still like works for humanitarian efforts and like works for Habitat for Humanity and like goes out and works and builds homes for, you know, unhoused people. And like, he's like fucking, I mean, he seems like a really cool old guy. Yeah, it sounds like it. Do you, so when did you start playing music? Probably late, right? Very late. I was a very, very late bloomer. Um, I messed around a bit. Like I was in like a bunch of crummy, you know, I would borrow somebody's bass guitar and learn three chords and put them together and just like would get together and jam, but it was never anything serious. Um, in about 2006, uh, a few friends and I got together and we just made like this really crusty, uh, D beat, um, grindy crust punk band. And we played like three or four shows just for fun. Um, And then I didn't start the Homeless Gospel Choir until 2008. Do you remember the first guitar you got? What, what was it? Like what? Yeah, my good friend, Jim Walker, he gave me a broken ovation. It was a crappy plastic backed ovation guitar that had a cracked face and a, and a, and a, and a bent neck. And it was just, it was just a terrible sounding guitar. Do you remember the first song But, that, you, that you learned on, on guitar? Like, you, did you play? Yeah, it was a Johnny Cash song. I think it, 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 was, it, was, it was one of those Johnny Cash songs like um, Fulsome Prism Blues or something like that. It was one of those, like, I learned about five songs in one night. And I was like, oh, all these songs pretty much have the same three chords in different arrangements. I can figure this out. Wow. That's cool. So you learned the chords because like, I feel like, well, maybe it's because when, when I speak to people that learn guitar, like they learned it earlier. So they had smaller hands, but like, it seems like complicated to do a chord, like a whole chord when you first pick up, pick up a guitar. Mm -hmm. I just had a friend and I was like, tell me how to play this song. And he says, well, you got to play a G. And I said, tell what's that? And he was like, cool. This is how you do it. He's like, this is how you make a G, this is how you make a D, and this is how you make a C. And this is a palm mute. And this is a, this is um, if you want to let the, if you want to let it ring out, if you want to turn this into a Green Day song, all you have to do is this palm muting trick and you've turned it into a Green Day song. If you want it to sound like a Johnny Cash song, all you got to do is pick out the strings individually and it'll sound like a country song. You want to do like a Bruce Springsteen rocker, you make the chord and you play all six strings at one time. And I was like, that's it. That's how you make music. And he's like, that's how you do it. And that was it. That pretty, that pretty much sums it up. Fuck yeah, that's good. So, and after that, I guess you're pretty much self-taught, like everything you learn, like about yeah, I how just, to create music. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was living in a really crummy apartment where there were, you know, we smoked cigarettes inside and it was just like gross. It was just, it was an absolute, just the worst apartment in the history of apartments. And um, I was just starting out traveling and it was super duper cheap. Um, I would find a I would find a record of something that I liked and I would just learn how to play it and I would just I would put on something that was simple like a, a Hank Williams record or I would put on like a Woody Guthrie or at that time it was like Pat the Bunny and like other like folk punk type stuff Wingnut Dishwashers Union things like that 
and I would just play along with the songs and figure out how to do it. Hmm. And um, so the first Homeless Gospel Choir album came out in 2010, I think. Um, so between 2006 and 2010, uh, like, did, when did you start? Uh, you said, when did you start Homeless Gospel Choir? Like, do you remember the first show? Yeah, to, I do remember the first show. It was at um, a place called Games and That, which is like, a, um, it's in Pittsburgh and it, it's not around anymore. It closed during quarantine, but it was like a family owned, um, like a Chuck E. Cheese almost. Or it was like, a, like a, a, they had ski ball, they had pinball, you can shoot the basketball. They had um, duck pin bowling and then they served like really shitty pizza and snacks. But in the far back room that they had, they had a little teeny stage and the room fit maybe, I don't know, a hundred people at the most. And they would have like punk rock shows back there. And um, my friends were putting on gigs there and I was, I would just, I would say, hey, I'd like to go ahead and try some of my songs out. And they would say, yeah, sure, no worries. And I would go ahead and I'd play. Awesome. That's cool. That's how it started. And then, and then I, I like to do it so much, I would just find out other places in town that was having like, you know, they were having open mic nights and they were having things like that. And I would just ask if I could play. And, you know, as I would play my songs more, people told me that they liked them pretty good. And then, you know, local show promoters in Pittsburgh would say, hey, do you want to come and play an actual show? And I was like, yeah, that would be great. I'd love to. And just being asked to do it. And I didn't know, I didn't know anything about like the music world at all at that time. Wow. I just wanted to, I just wanted to try it. And do you remember the first tour that you did? Yeah, I do. Um, the very first tour that I did was in a, a 1982 Toyota Tercel. Um, and it was with Aaron Buchanan from the band Revolution Radio from Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and they play like a roots, they play like a clashy style roots punk rock band. And it was just us acoustic. And um, I had... I think I had flown to North Carolina or I had, I think that's how it went. I either flew there or I flew home. Um, I think I flew there and we started there and we just, we played up the East coast and we played to Philly and then we came over to Pittsburgh and we ended it. And it was maybe six shows. And um, it was my first time playing music out in front of other people. Like that wasn't in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, and I liked it so much that I got home and I just booked another one and I got a hold of my friends who play in a band from here called Playoff Beard. And they're like, they're a three-piece punk band here from Pittsburgh. And then we did a tour that following spring in um, my friend's Jeep. And there were four people in the Jeep. And we had to buy, we realized that not all the gear fit inside the Jeep to take it on tour. So we had to go to the advanced auto parts and buy one of those roof bags. Um, but we didn't have a roof rack for it or it didn't fit the roof rack i don't remember exactly what happened so the straps were kind of inside the vehicle um and it was it was um it was just duct tape i mean we just duct taped that tour together like moments before we were supposed to leave for tour we had to go to the store and all chip in like 20 bucks so that we can buy the roof rack so that we can pack everyone's gear and hit the road and we went all the way down into we went all the way down into the carolinas on that tour and we we, we played a bunch of really great shows and um it was really fun yeah i remember the first tours that that, that i did and i was like shit i want to do this as as much as possible this, this is cool and and it's not you even feel like, like peter pan 
Yeah, well, you it feels like you go from a city to another city and you meet like you don't meet the same people, but you meet like the the same kind of like-minded people and you're like, "Oh shit, there are people like me in all these towns." That's cool. <laughs> yeah. It certainly gave me the itch to want to do it more and just see how other people live and I think in many ways traveling reminds you that there are things outside of your little world. You know, sometimes we get caught in our little world, especially since we've been locked in our own homes for for fucking months and months and months. Um, it reminds you like, oh, there's people that with different, you know, that have different communities and, and on a whole different type of like a cultural, um, a cultural swing to their town and different styles of punk rock music are popular in different parts of the country. And um, how people in Montreal do it is very different than how people in Pittsburgh do it. And which is very different than how people in New York City do it, which is very different than how people in fucking Florida do it. You know, so it's, you know, and you just get to see the bad and the good of how different music scenes make it and work. And you're able to, you know, learn from it and, and, and experience it and enjoy it. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you toured in, in Europe? Was it, uh, were you opening for like a anti-flag or, or something like that? Or were you, did you go yes. on your own before that? Mm -mm. My very first time ever, I wasn't even announced on the tour. Um, I was, I was asked to, um, I was on tour with Frank Iero um from mcr uh there you go um you're wearing the shirt um and i was uh, i was doing a tour in the u.s and the tour had ended and we had just built like a really uh, strong friendship with everyone in the band and we, we just got on just super good and frank was like what are you doing in a couple weeks do you want to come to europe with us and i was like yeah that sounds great And he's like, we, you know, the shows are already sorted. So you would just come and you would just play. Is that cool? And I was like, yeah, no worries. And I just went there and um, they bought me a plane ticket and I went over to Europe and I toured on a, you know, it was a proper bus. My very first time in Europe, I toured on a big old fancy bus and to a whole sold out tour. And I was just the, um, I was just the opener. I, you know, a band would play and then, and then, you know, I would play and then, and then Frank would play. And it was wonderful to get to, you know, to do that. It was, that was my first time in Europe. Yeah, and then I went back like four months later with anti-flag on a bus too. And all my experiences in Europe, I've not had a rough tour in Europe. All my tours in Europe have been, you know, all home runs. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's no such thing as a, a rough tour in Europe because like even my roughest tour in Europe was still better than any American tours that I did <laughs> like <'cause it's>, <laughs> you get you get money every night you get food you get a place to sleep every night and you're like oh that's cool like yeah. the worst case scenario is you, is you get like a hundred euros a place to crash food and drinks yeah that's the worst case scenario which is a win yeah exactly wow um so let's let's talk about songwriting now do you remember the first song that you've written the first song that i'd written um i 
Maybe. Um, I don't really, to be honest with you. I don't. I made just a whole bunch of them. So I knew that here's what I knew. I didn't know anything about the music business, but I knew that if you wanted to go on tour, you had to have some songs to show people. And, you know, people, if they like those songs, they're going to want to buy those songs or buy a CD of it. So I remember going and recording a bunch of songs onto a laptop with just like a crappy room mic. And I made just burned CD copies of it. And I put them in like a fold and I put a jacket on them and I would take those out on tour and I would just have them out. And if you wanted to buy one for $5, um, that's, that's how I did it. But those songs that I wrote, I don't even remember them. Like I don't, they weren't, they weren't songs that I played for very long. They were just songs that were, that I was just making at the time. And um, there was a song called Two Coats that people liked, um, but I don't like that song and I don't ever play it. And I kind of don't give a fuck about it. But there are people like, they're like, I remember when you used to play Two Coats. And I was like, yeah, man, don't <laughs> think about that. That's terrible. What was your writing process back then when you started? Do you remember? Because I'm, I guess your style of like your songwriting style has, has evolved through time. But do you remember when you first started what it was like? Yeah, what I would do is I would just listen to a whole bunch of those country records and I would find out the chords that I wanted to make and the chords that I wanted to hear. And I would just repeat them over and over in like a loop. And I would go A minor, C minor, G, A minor, C minor, G over and over and over again. And I would just, in my mind, I would try and find a melody that was complementary to that chord structure and like the thing that I wanted to do. And I've always written a lot of poems and I've always had like a journal and I was always very good about like writing my feelings and my thoughts down. Um, so I would just go ahead and take some of that poetry that was around a basic idea of a song that I wanted to write, whether it was about you know, politics or religion or, you know, any of those type of items. And I would just have, have the poems that, you know, however I wanted the rhyme scheme to sort out, mix with that melody, mix with that chord progression. And then I would just pick a speed at which I wanted to play it. Did I want it to be a slow country sad song or did I want it to be like a fast rah, rah, rah type of a punk song? And that was really only the two speeds that I had at the time because I was such a novice at doing it. I was like, we can write a song that sounds like the Ramones or we can write a song that sounds like Johnny Cash. And there was nothing really in the middle for me. Nice. Uh, I remember one of the first times that I saw you live, I was like, uh, I was very impressed because I thought you, it sounded like you were almost improvising what you were doing. Like, cause like you well in between songs you, you speak and then you say like, Oh, this is a protest song. Like, have you done this from the start? Like, have you like started doing it like at the beginning, like this is a protest song. And then. Yeah. It's been a piece of it from the beginning, which I just stole that from Bob Dylan. I mean, I didn't oh, yeah. know this is a protest song. I just completely stole it from Bob Dylan. I didn't know But, that. Yeah, Bob Bob Dylan Bob Dylan. Um, whenever he went electric, um, people would people would boo him, and people would really give him a hard time because they thought that he sold out the folk community, and they would say, "Play a play a protest song, Bob," and Bob would say, "All these songs are protest songs." So I would just I just like the idea of you know. In every, you know, I, 
also too watching old footage and watching old um, interviews of Ian from, from Discord Records, Fugazi and Minor Threat, he taught me at a very, you know, at, at a very important age in my life that like everything that we do is political. Every decision that we make, what we do with our money, how we spend our time, how we treat other people, how we view power, how we, uh, how we give of our spare time, all of that stuff, all of it's political, all of it. And if we're going to go ahead and write a song, or if we're going to have something to say, um, what does that, what are we in protest of? Even some of my songs are in protest of my very self, you know, of my lazy nature or my, um, or, or things that I feel, you know, like I have a deficiency in, like, how can I force myself out of that you know, stinking thinking, um, and, and and create something different for myself. So, in all ways, um, hopefully, each song gets to be a protest song. Hmm. That's very interesting. I, I really liked what you said. So, do you remember how, for example, how you wrote the songs on um, "I Used to Be So Young" or on "Normal"? Do you remember sure. how how you evolved in your songwriting process? Yeah. Well, I had, um, for I used to be so young, I, um, I knew that I was going to have a record that was going to come out on AF Records. Um, I played a show in, um, in like a, like a back garage type of an area with Chris number two, Chris number two from Anti-Flag was playing in a Green Day cover band at the time and where they only played Dookie. And it was him and Tyler and Josh from the band White Wives. And they would go out and they would just play, they would just play Dookie. And um, I had been invited to open up their Dookie show at this storage area or garage. It was in the back of a print shop. Um, and uh, they asked me to open it. And I did. And they liked, they liked what, you know, they liked my songs good. And they asked me to, um, hey, we're going to go out on tour. When we come back, we'd like to go ahead and make a record with you. Chris said that and would like to do it on AF and would like to, you know, to make a record with you. So get together, get together some songs and we'll, we'll sit down and we'll see what those songs, you know, what they look like. So I, 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 had, I had some songs written and then I just sat down and I, I wanted to think about songs that I wanted to write and what theme I wanted them to have and what story I wanted to tell. And um, I showed up to, to Chris number two with, I, I think about 30 songs. I think there's probably maybe 30 songs or 30 ideas or 30 little parts that, you know, either could be used in a song or needed to, needed some buffing. And um, we Was sat down, I'm sorry. Was it like just recordings of you, your acoustic guitar and your voice? Just me, yeah. It was just me on an acoustic guitar and I was just recording those either onto my phone or onto my laptop at the time. Um, and I sent, you know, after they had done some touring for a while and they came back, it was a few months after that, I think. We just started to get together and show him the songs and um, he was absolutely um, integral in me learning how to put songs together and learning song structure and what what's supposed to be. Chris too was a, a, an absolute gem and a delight to be around. And like just how he would 
I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. Like I knew, I knew what I wanted to say and I knew the basic vehicle that I needed to take to get there. But Chris really came in and, 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 and gave me great guidance. And he and I put that record together. Um, I used to be so young and we used our imaginations and our thoughts and we just smashed them together and we made that record. That was the first one that we had done um, that was on AF. And we asked our friends to play on it and to sing on it and to, you know, and to be a part of it. Um, was it, so was Chris playing the role of like a producer? Like absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he was, he was, he was uh, producing all those tracks and um, I was, I was able to, describe the sounds I was hearing uh, that I didn't know how to make. Um, I can't, you know, I, I, I heard like there's this, there's this one part that sounds like, and it feels like this. I just don't know how to get to it. He's like, you mean, does it sound like this? And I was like, yes, that's exactly how it sounds. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll do it. Um, and just like me bouncing ideas, like, Hey, what about this idea? And he would say, well, the idea can work, but we should try it like this. And he just gave me like really great. And I'm also, I'm a scatterbrain and I'm in a million different places in my mind at one time. And the best thing that Chris was able to do was just give me very strong parameters for my creativity to flow in one direction. Otherwise, I feel like I'm a, I feel like I'm a feral cat and I can't, you know, I'm just all over the place. So the 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 beginning of our relationship um for i used to be so young was chris and i sitting down at af for, at, at where anti-flag practices and me just showing him my ideas and over and over just going here's here's 10 more ideas here's 10 more things that i think we can do and he would say this part's good this part's not good let's go ahead and and you know the good stuff we're going to hold on to and the stuff that's not so good Let's try and let's try and shape it so that it is better. Um, and that's that was that was I used to be so young. And I toured I toured on that record for three years. Like I toured, I went to Europe. I went to Europe twice. I did four full US tours on that record. Like I really pounded the pavement and I played so many. I played as much as I could. I think I was like at like 150 shows a year. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, it was a ton. Um, do you, um, you mentioned like before you write the songs, like you, you, you kind of want to have a theme or like what's the, the album, what's the album going to be about? Mm -hmm. do you, so you think of, about this ahead of time, like you're like, oh, my next album, I, want, I wanted to, um, like I think your latest one, This Land, uh, this land is Your Landfill. Well, mm -hmm. there's another one that just came out like a few days ago, I think. But it was a live, live record from live 2018. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But this land is your landfill feels like a end of the world kind of apocalyptic mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, album. So did, did you, and I think that you mentioned that you did this, that you, in, in an interview that like you, um, you sat down and you found out like, oh, what, did, what is this album going to be about? But did you do this with, I used to be so young and normal? Like I did. So I was, I used to be so young's about about childhood for the most part and it's about having very new feelings and it's about being new and and navigating world with new feelings and new thoughts and there's something great that happens to you when you get to choose the family that you that you want 
And in many ways, punk rock has been that for me. And there was a gr there was all these great feelings that I was feeling inside my heart about being young and feeling young and um, expressing that in different ways. And I, I wanted to have a picture of with all those songs of this is the exact way that I was feeling at the time. And I wanted to make sure that I could express that in a way. Um, and I never made a concept record. I knew what they were, but I certainly didn't know how to make one. And I asked, I was on tour with Frank Iero from, you know, from, you know, 2000 and we toured a bunch, like from 2015 to 2017, we toured a bunch in like those two years. Um, and uh, I just asked, I just asked about like that, the Black Parade record. And I oh, said, yeah. tell me about it. Y'all made a concept record. How do you do that? How did you do it and be so successful at it? I have to know. And he gave me some very good practical advice. And he said, if you have, if you have a blank canvas, it's easy to throw things at the black canvas. And once it's finished to say, this is the thing that I intended to make. But if you're able to make a plan and say, in this picture, there's going to be a tree and a house and a swing and a sun and a cloud and a goat and a monster, you're able to go ahead and put the art onto the canvas that you've already envisioned into your mind. So instead of just like spitting crazy shit at the wall, hoping that things, you know, stick to it, he says, take a little bit more time and think of what you want it to look like when it's finished. Think about the thing that you want it to be whenever it's done. How do you tell that story? How do you use the right type of voicing? How do you channel those feelings in, um, in yourself to make them come out to be the song that you want them to be? And um, I took that advice and I took that information and I, and I took it to my songwriting for the normal record. That's great, wow. Uh, yeah. Speaking speaking of that album, the Black Parade, it came out I think I think in two thousand and six or something like that. Uh, I was fourteen years old in two thousand and six, so I remember that when it came out, I saw the, the video clips on TV, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's that that sounded like huge to me." But mm -hmm. but at four, like when I was fourteen, I did not want to associate with like uh, My Chemical Romance because it was like too emo ish, and I wanted to be more punk. Sure. And uh, so do you remember when this album came out where like, did you remember listening to it at first or did you listen to it like many years after? I just knew them to be an MTV band. And at the time in my little crust punk heart, I wasn't interested in anything like that. Like I, I, I didn't want it. I didn't, you know, I didn't want, I don't think at the time I wanted anything to do with it until I was able to appreciate it for what it was whenever I was older and like not allow my friends' opinions of what their musical tastes happen to be to influence whether I like something or I don't. I listen to the record often. I think it's really, really great. I think it's a magical piece of art yep. that they were able to make together as a band. And like, I think it connected to a lot of people too. And I think that's what you really want. I mean, maybe, maybe I can only speak for myself. But that's what I want out of my songs. I want, you know, oh, I, re I, re I resonate with that story. The way that you said that, I feel that way too. So I think, I think as far as being a successful record, I think, the, I think that record in particular 
did a great job of connecting to a whole bunch of people exactly where they happened to be, where they were at the moment. So yeah. I think in that, in, that, in that regard, for sure, it's a smash. That, that kind of... That kind of feels to me like what art is all about. Like you, when you make any kind of art, you want uh, people to connect with it in different ways. And when you create something, you you have no power on on mm -hmm. what other people are going like how other people are, are going to relate to it. And I think that's that's what great that's what's great about any kind of art. Like you can you do something and you're like, oh, I'm thinking about my cat when I'm doing this, and then. Other people are like, oh, I lost my mom. And it reminds me of my mom. And you're like, oh, shit, I wrote about my cat. That's weird, but that's awesome. Like, it's, uh, yeah. And it's something that you can't control either. Mm -hmm. I can't control how you interpret the art that somebody else makes. You know, it might make you think about your mom or cat or spaghetti and meatballs or anything, you know. Who knows what it's making you think of. But once you release it into the world, you're no longer, you know, you're no longer in control of it. Yeah, it's, it's like when I'm having uh, these conversations with friends about like uh, like any bands and we're like, what's your favorite album from that band? And I'm like, oh, my favorite album uh, from the Weaker Thans is, um, I don't know, Left and Leaving or like uh, the... That's the, the that's the one. That's the one. That's the one. Mine is uh, Reconstruction Site. And the reason why is because I remember where I was. Like, I remember listening to Weaker Thans before that and being like, I, I'm not a big fan. And then... I was, we were playing a show in, uh, in Saguenay, which is like two hours north from Quebec City. And there was like an after party at the venue that we made. And some, someone, somebody took an iPod and was like, hey, let's put that album. And I was like, holy shit, that album is good. And that, that, that put me back then. And I was like, really doing well. And I was like, oh, that was an awesome night. And that's how I found out that I, that was a huge fan of The Weaker Dance. It was there. So to me, like when that's that's what that's what people do when they like compare, like, oh, what's your favorite album or like what's your favorite thing, and they're like compare it to memories and like where they were and what it reminds them of, and uh, yeah, that's how yeah. people connect. It's great. So, um, to to finish the songwriting part of, of this, uh, now you I think you're with a band, right? Yeah, because this. Uh, This Land is Your Landfill was uh, recorded and was it written with the band? Uh, it was written, it was, it was the first time I'd ever written a record to be played as a full band. Even Normal was written to only be played solo acoustic. I only planned to tour solo acoustic on it. Um, even though there's full band arrangement on the record um, and I've, I've always heard a full band arrangement in my, in my mind whenever I would put the song together, I would always hear other things. Um, it was the first time that a, that a record had been written to be played as a full band. And that record, well, when Normal, just to backtrack, just an absolute tad, um, when Normal, I wanted to write, I wanted to write the song Normal and I wanted it to have a very certain feel to it. And that feel, there's a band from Johnstown, Pennsylvania called Endless Mike and the Beagle Club. And they are the best. They are the band that when I first saw them play, I knew that I wanted to make music. I knew it. There was no doubt about it. There's a, there's a joyfulness and there was a youth, there was a very youthful feeling that you feel when you see this band play live. There's nothing else like it. We were in this, I was in a, I was in an old fire, it was an old fire hall hall and, um, 
bands were playing and loading their gear and unloading their gear and yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden it's time for the Beagle Club to play. And out of nowhere, people from the crowd just start walking on stage and picking up instruments and plugging them in. And almost out of nowhere, before you blink, there's 15 people on stage, all with instruments, and they all start one, two, three, four, bam, and they went right into it. No sound check, really. They played like, they played an E chord. They're like, okay, everybody play an E. Ah, okay, we're in tune, let's go. And then they were just off to the races. And it was such a joyful, it, everyone in the crowd knew every word and everybody was waiting for the chorus and everybody was jumping over each other to get to the part. And like, it was such a magical display of kindness and care and art and community and, and, and anarchy and everything that I wanted. And it was political and it was fast. It was everything I wanted out of a band. And I, I knew that I needed to, I wanted to find that feeling. And as much as I would try on my own to get that feeling, I, I didn't know how to get to it. So I called up Mike Miller from Endless Mike and the Deal Club, and we wrote the song Normal in his garage in about an hour on his lawnmower. I went over there and I stayed, I stayed with him and his, and his wife, Laura, and we went into the garage and I was like, this is the song. This is the exact story I want to tell. These are the, these are the words that I have. This is the feeling that I want. These are the chord, you know, the basic, this is the basic feeling of it. How, how can I make this song feel the way that I need it to feel? And we wrote it in a very short period of time in his garage. Awesome. Yeah. I think my, I think my friend Robbie once told me about that band because. Uh, Robbie Lester. Yeah. He's the best. I, yeah. I haven't, I've, I haven't heard of him in a long time now. Uh, he's, I should... famous, he's famous now for playing magic cards. Do you know that? Wait, how famous? Like, he's a fucking champion, bud. He's a big time deal. Wow. They pay him. They he's a he, yeah. He 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 won. He wins money at tournaments. Like he's 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 a, he's a big time magic guy. No wow. bullshit. I, yeah, I, think yeah. I, I, I think I remember last time I went to his place was in 2016. So it was like five years ago now. And uh, we played we played uh, board games. I think we had a night off or we had an early show in Pittsburgh, and then we. We stayed at his place and we played the board games and there was a cool board game that we played and I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want this game. And he was like, you want it? Take it. I was like, no, no way. So I still have it. It's called Coop. And uh, the thing about Robbie that's the best is when we moved into our, when we were living in, back in Pittsburgh, um, Pittsburgh has bad water. Our water quality is shit. And Robbie works for Pennsylvania Clean Water Action. And he would, he knew that his boss was a butthole. So instead of, if you'd get an old machine that the boss told you to throw away, he would just keep it, fix it up, and then install it in his friend's house for free. So he was like, if you make me a pot, I made him a pot of vegan chili, and he gave me a water purification system for my house. He's wow. the most... He's the most punk motherfucker there ever has been. I love Robbie Lester. He's the best. Him and his partner are now rescuing, rescuing dogs. They had, last time Lindsay and I were at their house, there had to have been 
150,000 dogs at their house. I mean, there was so many dogs. I mean, that's why he's posting pictures on, on uh, Instagram with like, uh, like 365 dogs a year or something like that. Okay, that's why. All right. Yeah, they, 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 had, they probably had a dozen dogs the last time. My partner, Lindsay, was over there. Take, she was covered in puppies. There had, she had to have maybe 10 puppies on her whenever <laughs> she was over there. But yeah, Rob, Robbie's killing it. He's doing great. I, I have to invite him for this podcast at some point. Yeah. Now we're at the part where we're gonna talk about creativity. What is creativity to you? Like, how would you describe creativity to someone who's never heard the word or never, has no idea of what the concept of creativity is? Um, imagine a place in your mind that you've never been to, but you've always wanted to go to. Creativity helps you get there. And I think in the world that we live in, where people want to sell a lot of music, I think it's very appealing to make something that's safe that they've heard before. I don't necessarily know if that's creativity. I think that's making something to sell to somebody. And I don't know how that makes me feel as much anymore. Like. You know, my, my, friends, my friends play in the Menzingers and they are a popular, famous band. And that's, that's wonderful. And I love it super duper much. But I think it would be terrible if I just decided one day that I wanted to write songs that sound like the Menzingers so that I can then be popular and famous too. You're not making anything that's creative. You're taking something that's creative, something that someone created, and you're just trying to make, you know, a paralleled copy of it. And I don't know if that's good. I, 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 I love the fact that they made it and I like the fact that they created it, but having somebody that makes something just because something else is successful in the same vein isn't. So I like to think of it as imagine a place in your mind that you've always wanted to go to, but you've never been to before and creativity just helps you get there. And I'm always super blown away by bands who make something that's new and that's fresh, that's super much them. You know, when you hear something that from, from I'll tell you what I did love. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to um, that uh, uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters record from last year from Fiona Apple. Have you, have you listened to no. Fiona Apple's record? Not at all. Bro, it's gonna split your lid. It's gonna split your lid. It's the most creative thing I've ever heard in my life. I, it was- I'm writing it down. It blew my mind, the production on the record and how she weaved the songs together and told a narrative. Um, and I was, I was taken back by it so much because I'd never heard anything like it before. I'd never heard anything like it. And like, that's the thing about art and creativity that really makes me excited to think that like, sure, we've all played a G chord before a million times. How can I do it? so that it's specifically me who's doing it. And this isn't to, you know, there's people, you know, um, I love to be entertained too. Like I love the idea of me first in the Gimme Gimme's where you get to see a band who's playing punk rock versions of Rolling Stones songs. And I think it's great entertainment and I think it's really, really fun and something that I do enjoy to consume. But when I think about like creativity and being absolutely original, um, that's something that gets me more excited than making something that you know is gonna be safe and that people are gonna consume and buy. 
All right. So creativity is, uh, is taking risks. It's, it's getting in the, yeah. some kind of danger zone, like going somewhere you've never been before and trying something new, right? Do you, rem I'm going to ask you a question. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember the first time you listened to Refuse, The Shape of Punk to Come? Do you remember the first time uh, you heard that record? Uh, yeah, but I'd never got, well, because I'm, I'm younger, right? So I, I, when it came out, I was too young. So I found out about them like when I was 20 years old or something like that. So it was in 2011. But I remember listening to it and thinking, oh, uh, this sounds like this band and that band because they were influenced by you, refused, which like, yeah. I, I remember thinking, uh, oh, it sounds a little bit like Billy Talent or like uh, some other stuff like that. But I was like, I was making the links. Like I was like, oh, like they got their influence from Refused or at the drive-in. But I bet that back then when Refused came out with that album, people were probably listening to it thinking, wow, it's revolutionary because I get something brand new. I don't think people knew how to take it at the time. They heard this new type of music and it didn't fit into any of their columns. So people felt very uneasy about it. But I remember when I heard that record for the first time, I'd never heard anything like it. I never heard anything like it. I knew that it was alternative. I knew that it was heavy, but I had no clue. I had no frame of reference. It blew my mind that like, they wrote a record called The Shape of Punk to Come and they did. They wrote a record that influenced a whole generation of bands. And I remember like even listening to At The Drive-In for the very first time, like listening to that music for the first time and never hearing anything else like it and having it be something that's, you know who else did that? Did you ever listen to The Chariot? Um, no, but I, I you know- should check uh, out like, The Chariot yeah. too. They're great. They're like a really loud punk band. They're super duper loud. And they would do stuff that I'd never heard before. Having cymbals in the recording played backwards and like, they were doing this really weird production on and, and how they were able to capture feedback on, on a recorded studio album was just, it just blew my mind. And like, those are the things that I think about when I think about like creating something that is pure and that is truly pushing the bounds of like making art and, and, and something that is, that is pushing the boundaries of your own creativity. Now that's different for everybody. Not everybody's gonna write The Shape of Punk to Come. Not everyone's gonna write Relationship to Command. Not everyone's gonna make those records um, in, their, in their lifetime. But like, I wanna work the hardest that I can and I wanna be the best that I can be so that whenever it's my turn to be creative, I get to go ahead and make something that's special. That like, I think about like, I. I, I worked really, really hard to make a new thought and to, to have a new idea. And I wanted to try and pursue it. Um, that's, that's funny. So yeah. it, it was going to be my next question. I was going to ask you, like, do you think everyone is a uh, creative or everyone has a potential, like a creative potential that the, like, if you take, for example, like a clerk that works in a gas station in Kansas city that, uh, I don't know. That person works there, he goes home, he watches TV, go to goes to sleep, wake up, work. Uh, do you think do you think everyone has this as a creative potential that they could at some point exploit in some ways? Or do you think some people are just more creative than others and that's just like like some people run faster or like I don't know. <laughs> 
I sure hope so. I know what art and creativity has done for me in my life. And I know that I've been uh, exceedingly and abundantly blessed by it. So I, my, 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 the greatest gift that we can receive from this world is being able to express ourselves in a way. And maybe there are certain people who don't have that inside of them. And I, I, I don't know, but I, I think everyone should make art. Now, I don't know if everybody should um, expect to make a living off of their art. I think that would probably be a, um, a narrow um, expectation, but I do think everybody should be able to express themselves in an artistic way and I think it makes us better people. I think whenever we're able to use different colors and different sounds and different shapes and different arrangements in, in with our thoughts and, and being creative, I think it helps us take life not so seriously sometimes and, and lets us be playful and lets us be childlike. And I think I think that does really good things for our hearts and our minds together. Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, do you have a job right now or do you... Um... Is your job writing songs and, and writing, because I've seen you wrote some books. Do, do you have another job right now? I'm fortunate that I've been able to make music my full-time job for, um, for a long time. That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, I, 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 um, a, few, um, a few years ago, my friends needed help at a pizza shop. They opened a pizza shop and we have made pizza in the past together. I, because of my restaurant background, they're like, can you come and can you help us? You know, we need a hand. Would you mind coming and helping us make pizzas on the weekends? And I would go there and I would make pizza, but it was, it was mostly for fun for me because I'm, have you ever had a kitchen job? Do you have a kitchen job? I've had a kitchen job for a month when I was 16 and was uh, just a dishwasher and I did not like it. So I was just like, oh, no, I'm just going to go around that. And yeah, I worked at the Staples after that for a couple of years. So <laughs> a kitchen job is either the best or the worst. You could either have a great experience or you can have a terrible experience. And luckily for me, the guys who ran the pizza shop were the coolest. And they were like, you know, yeah, let's go ahead and smoke weed before work. So we're not nervous. And like, <laughs> we would ride our bicycles and we would, you know, they were the best. They were the best, best, best. So yeah, I've, I've been fortunate that I've been able to focus my time and my attention and my energy on making art and music and uh, up until the last year and a half touring full time. This is the longest I've ever gone in my life without seeing live music. So um, that's been, that's been difficult. Um, but I've, I've, uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still uh, just focusing on, on music. Yes. That's awesome. Cause I was going to ask like, if you have like a normal day job, do you, does it like involve creativity in any way? But then I'm going to, rephrase that question and asking you i'm going to ask you like what's your um day-to-day -day routine look like then do you you wake up in the morning and then do you what are your projects like how do you i, I guess you do like a lot of songwriting or a lot of writing in general or creating uh but do you have a specific like schedule where like all right this between nine and and 12 i'm going to work on this or how do you work well I should have more structure than I do. And I know that for me, creativity and imagination strike in random places and I just have to be available to catch it. Um, but I took a bunch of writing classes over COVID-19. I took during quarantine, I took some writing classes and I took um, 
just like some writing coaching classes too. Not necessarily just for writing songs, but just writing in general, writing poems, writing short stories, writing things like that. And um, I learned a very valuable lesson. There's no such thing as writer's block. It does not exist. It's a, it's a figment of our imaginations. If you show up and you force yourself to do the work and you sit down and you over the ideas and you write them and you play the chords or you do whatever the, you know, you go through it, you'll eventually find something of value in the thing that you've done. Either you've created a new idea that you didn't have before, or you discover that this idea doesn't work and we have to get rid of it. And um, that class that I took really did force me into being a, um, into understanding that if you show up to do the work, you will get results from it. Mm -hmm. So um, right now as a band, we're doing mixing and just like as now in my life, we have uh, two songs that we have for a split that, um, that Don Giovanni's putting out later on this year. Oh. And um, we're working on the mixing of that and getting that all finalized and getting that sent in to the press. I have a meeting today at two o'clock to discuss all that type of stuff. Um, and then we have, we're writing new songs as a band. We just got back from, uh, we spent a week in Easton, Maryland at a lake house and we had a, oh. a sound engineer. You know the band Vacations? Uh, yeah, are they from Ohio? Yeah, they're a Cincinnati yeah. band. Yeah. Uh, John from that band came out and he recorded us all to tape, just our demos, like made a demo tape of all the songs that we're working on. Nice. And um, we're out, yeah, we're putting together some new songs for a new record. And it's the first time we've ever written, written as a full band, like with all awesome. five people, all putting their, smashing their ideas together in the big, huge fruit punch of punk rock. So um, yeah, we're, uh, okay. we've been doing that. I've been focusing on that a whole bunch and we've been focused. I mean, for the last couple of months, we've been moving. So that yeah. has been uh, something that has taken up a, a large piece of my time. But as far as like the creative work goes, um, it is good for me to have structure. I never wanted to admit that I was a structured person, but when I have a routine and I have a schedule and I have structure, I absolutely thrive. Um, when I'm just like left to my own devices to wake up when I want to, and then I'll probably smoke weed and get high and forget what I'm supposed to do. And then, you know, three o'clock comes and I'm like, well, half the day's gone. Fuck it. Let's just go out and find a swimming hole or something. You know, days like that go past and you don't accomplish anything. But if you force your face to the work, if you grab yourself by the back of the hair, just like this, and you force your face to do the work, then you'll do the work. Yeah. Um, of writing songs, of writing, writing anything. Yeah, when I, when I, when people talk to me about the writer's block, usually I tell them, have you ever tried to do free writing? And sometimes they're like, what, what's free writing? I'm like, you just write for 10 minutes or like, and you don't have any specific subject and you write, you write, you write. And, and sometimes it can be on the computer too. It doesn't have to be with a pen necessarily. And what I've been uh, doing lately is uh, free writing, but instead of writing just free uh, speaking, and I just speak into my, my phone and I'm like speaking about my ideas. And then I just talk to myself. That's someone I was just like answer to my own questions. I'm like, ah, oh, but what if no, 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 the talk. And after this, I really listen to it. And I'm like, oh shit, I, I got something there. And it's, uh, yeah, when you have a writer's blog, I feel you need to push yourself even more. You, you should not like, uh, well, it's okay to take breaks, I guess, but like <laughs> a good way to, oh yeah, the voice. I just have. 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands. Yep. Um, I'm just in, sometimes I'm in the bathroom and I'm taking a shiza and I'll just go, ah! and I'm like, would that part work over top of my, uh, over the bridge? Will that work? And then like I, when an idea comes, I just try and trap it on here. Um, That's awesome. And just like trying to come up with like different rhyme schemes. Like I'll hear, I'll hear a different pattern. I'm like, what if it, what if the, what if it fell in a different way? And, mm -hmm. and I'm always saving that onto my phone. I'm always making notes. Um, when I was writing songs with Chris number two, I don't sleep very well anyway. I probably get, I get very little sleep because my mind goes so fast all the time. I would send Chris five and six voice messages in the middle of the night when he's dead asleep of like, what if in the song, aliens abducted the punk rock band and took them to Mars and then were fed lasagna? What if we put that in the song? And like, sometimes Chris is like, man, you gotta quit smoking weed so late at night, you're coming up with some wild shit. Um, but yeah, I, you don't know what's good if you don't capture it all. So yep. like every time I have a little bit, and I, I'm absolutely on the same page as you, the second that I have that conversation, I'm able to capture it. And then later, once I've let it sit for a while, I come back to it and I'm like, yeah, that idea is stupid. I shouldn't put that into my thing. Or like, this is an idea that's worthwhile. I do think that it's good. Let me fine tune it. And then I send those ideas to the band now. Um, because that's how, you know, we're writing the songs differently now. Awesome. Before we finish this, do you have any tips to give to uh, someone who wants to be more creative? Someone who's listening right now who's like, holy shit, I would like to, I don't know, write more songs or paint more paintings or I don't know. Um, I want you to know that I think you are very worthwhile and I think your story is worth telling and I think your story will help other people. It would be beneficial for you to take the time to spend the time to make the art. You're there in, in, in every good book, in every good holy scripture book, it says that your, your treasure is where your heart is. And if you treasure your story and you treasure art, then you'll be where you, you'll be spending your time in order to pull that story out and in order to make that art. So there's always a spare 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes people spend that time on Instagram. Sometimes people spend that time watching Netflix. Sometimes people spend that time, you know, uh, doom scrolling on Twitter. All those things are okay. But if you're doing those things, you can't make an excuse to say, well, there's not enough time to make art. There is time to make art. You just have to prioritize your life so that you get to express yourself. And even if you haven't do it, done it before, you could be 15 years old, you could be 20 years old, you could be 120 years old. When you make art and when you express yourself in an artistic way, it does something to you. And if it really does something to you that's great, I think it'll do things to other people that are great too. And if, it ins and if your art inspires you and it moves you, it'll also move and inspire other people too. And I just wanna encourage, I just wanna encourage people to make the time to do it. It's worthwhile. This life is short. Before you know it, you're gonna have gray hairs up in your head and you're, uh, and, and, and you're gonna think, well, I don't, uh, you know, making art is a silly venture. Making, writing books is, is, is a thing for kids or, you know, whatever it is that you feel. 
but it's not. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can start today and you can start to learn how to draw or to learn how to play guitar. And if, you know, I always encourage people, if you're upset about something in your life, whether you look at the TV and you see how politicians are mistreating people, if you have been marginalized or oppressed in your life, if you've not been given a fair chance, if you've been a victim of, 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 of poverty or abuse or neglect or addiction, start a punk band. It's the best way to get your shit out and just let people know this isn't right. This is bothering me and I got something I want to say about it. And there's no age and there's no, there's no regulations to who you have to be in order to do that. And it's good for the little kid that lives inside your heart to let them know that it's still good to feel young and it's still good to feel capable of, 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 of creating something that's special to you. Derek, thank you so much for your time. This was the perfect. I love you so very much. I'm going to come up there. I'm going to put you in a headlock for Pooze Effects next year. You better believe it, buddy. I, I'm waiting for it. I hope, uh, I hope I'll get to see you sooner than later. And, um, I sure hope. and yeah, what should people check out? You have, well, you have this new album that just came out, uh, this live yeah, album. You know, unfortunate. Well, not unfortunately. Um, the records, the record did really good. We only made one time press of a thousand copies and it sold out pretty much in a day or okay. two. So Uh, AF Records in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania has a few left in their store. You can go over to www.afrecords.com and you can look up that kind of shit. Um, if you want to know Homeless Gospel Choir stuff, we're going to announce new records and new tours and new, all that stuff. You can go to www.thehomelessgospelchoir.com. That's the World Wide Web dot the homeless gospel choir dot communication. Um, and you can go ahead on there and um, we do have a 24 hour website. Our website is open 24 hours. We never close it. So as long as the internet's open, our website is open. You can go ahead onto there and get all the information for free. We don't charge anything to get onto our website. It's a free website. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks buddy. I love you so much. <laughs>